Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Steve, good morning. Some for listeners, good afternoon, good evening, y'all. Hope everyone is doing well. We're back with another episode of the Growth Equation Podcast. Yes, yes, here we are again. Uh, excited to jump into this you know, juicy and a little bit controversial, maybe the most controversial Brad's been on Twitter. Um, we're going to jump into that. But before we do, just a brief reminder, if you haven't yet, new book comes out in about two weeks, Practice of Groundedness. If you haven't yet checked it out, we've got all sorts of cool pre-orders. What can they get if they head over, order it right now, Brad? Yeah, so if you order the latest book right now, which really is around the patterns and principles that make up the foundation of performance. So if you think of some of our prior work around peak performance is the top of the mountain, you think about the growth equation is how you get up the mountain, the practice of groundedness is really around what are the principles that underlie a foundation that can keep you going strong through all kinds of weather. We did tons of reporting, talked to athletes, artists, entrepreneurs. Per the usual, we looked across different fields of science. And we also, this time, took a spin in ancient wisdom and history to try to find these patterns that get us to capital T, truth. So that's what you get in the book. What you get if you order it right now, because it goes such a long way in helping publishers get excited, is some really neat stuff. We've got training plans designed by Steve Magnus, the one and only. We've got training plans designed by Strength Ratio, a wonderful gym, for those of you that are fitness inclined. And for those of you that are like, nah, I got my physical practice dialed in, we've got insights from our work coaching executives and entrepreneurs in ebooks. We've got a guide to performance, a Spotify playlist, reading list, all kinds of neat stuff, easily $150 value. Just go pre-order the book. Uh, the best way to do it is on the website, www thegrowtheq.com and it'll be pretty straightforward as to how you navigate over to pre-order all right and check that out as well worth it and it also helps us as brad mentioned it helps to get pre-orders in this crazy industry called the book industry um all right so speaking of crazy industries <laughs> yes exactly. all right i'm gonna tee this up to the best of my ability uh for our listeners and and then we'll dive in. And I want to say that this is not just going to be a rant or gossip about social media or about any one person. Uh, I promise, Steve and I thought long and hard about how best to do this, that uh, the drama is actually an inroads to a much broader, more important topic that exists both on the internet and off the internet. So a few days ago in an interview, Joe Rogan was dealing in conspiracy theories around masking and vaccines, that universal masking and vaccine passports are just ways for the government to further control you, that perhaps vaccines are contributing or causing variants, on and on and on. Things that are A, not true, and B, really dangerous from a public health perspective. So I saw this going on. And I tweeted something about eight months ago, the last time Joe Rogan was off his rocker about you know COVID not being serious. I'm going to be honest. I'm just like, hey, this is a chance to have a tweet that goes nuts and pick up some new followers that don't like bro science. So I literally copy and pasted the same exact thing I tweeted earlier in the year. I guess at the time it was last year, which is Joe Rogan is a great example of guru syndrome. Loves hypotheticals, expert on everything, too confident, emotional charge over reason, addicted to being contrarian, perceive yourself as a leader of a tribe, adheres to crazy diets. Rule of thumb, run the other direction. In addition to that, I tweeted a picture of one of my favorite books, Amusing Ourselves to Death, which basically in 1984, so prescient, makes the case that we're prioritizing entertainment over well-being and actual policies and leaders that are effective. And I think that this is a great example of amusing ourselves to death because between 11 and 35 million people listen to every Joe Rogan episode. 
And then I also tweeted an article that Steve and I co-wrote maybe two or three years ago on Guru Syndrome on the Growth EQ. So the good news is this. I, well, I don't know if it's good news or if you're going to all pity me. I played the social media game well, gained about 500 followers, and by proxy, weeded out some followers that got mad at me. We had over 4,000 people, probably 5,000 people read that article on the Growth EQ, which is great. All right. The bad news is I eventually had to delete the tweet because I was getting emails through my website that were just derogatory and insane in nature. Uh, My timeline filled with people arguing against Joe Rogan and for Joe Rogan and basically forgot that I had anything to do with it. So long story short is I took it down. And I'll say one more thing before I hand it over to Steve to unravel this. In the spirit of us always being honest with you guys and nuanced, there's another reason I took it down. A lot of people were responding, this is just projection. You're bald. You lift weights. You yourself are just fancying a guru that's jealous of Joe Rogan. And I don't think that's the case. We're going to talk about why here. And Twitter doesn't give you enough room to explain it. So let's do this in two parts. Let's first talk about what guru syndrome is and why Joe Rogan epitomizes it and why it's so dangerous. And then for the people that are out there being like, yeah, but like, look at you, Brad, or maybe to some extent, look at you, Steve. You know, for me, it's you don't have a PhD. And for Steve, it might be you're a running coach. Why are you talking about broad principles? Uh, I think that we should have an honest conversation about how we try to hold ourselves accountable to not becoming gurus. Sounds like a plan to me. Um, From the outside, this was actually kind of fascinating to look at until it turned into a train wreck on uh, on Twitter. (laughs) I I just remember Brad's like, I'm going to step away and go lift weights. And I'm like, sure, that's fine. And then I check in before you're done lifting weights. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Train wreck. Here we go. Um, yeah, I was actually eating. Uh, I was eating breakfast outside with uh, with my wife, kid, and dog, and it had been about three hours. And I don't have Twitter on my phone. And I just got a text from Steve that said, "Dude, this is going nuts." And I'm like, "This question mark?" And then he said, "Wait till you log on." <laughs> yes, the fun world of social media. Um, which also points to another thing of, you know, it's a slightly different topic, but it ties into this is it's tribalism as well, in the sense that you got attacked by the tribe. Right. Um, and apparently our tribe at the Growth EQ isn't that <laughs> tribal because very few, very few of you came to, to my defense. But I think that's a good thing. It's a great thing because we've steered our people away from engaging in this bullshit. <laughs> yes. So, you know... It, 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 if you believe every every single thing that Brad and I say, and you're in agreement with every single thing then that we say, and are always on our side, maybe that's you know, that's a, that's a bad sign. So I think uh, you know independence is good. But let's let's start by talking about guru syndrome and what that means and what the problem is. And as uh, Brad alluded to, we've written about this. We've talked about this in prior podcasts. And it's basically, it's basically when like you transcend or like get to a point where you are master of everything. Right. And, there is a solution um, for every single problem and you have input, you have an opinion and a firm input on anything that that can occur, right? And it's almost like you give yourself this permission to like comment on everything and then, um, you know, tie yourself into this like building this tribe or selling of this information or selling of these products uh to further along this kind of agenda um as well yeah 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 so all right let's let's serve in volley a bit here so in the world of joe rogan in particular he's always talking about hypotheticals 
which have a way of feeling real, but are fiction. He is definitely comes off as very confident in his voice and body language and demeanor. He certainly has tons of emotional charge on the podcast. He seems to like taking contrarian opinions because contrarianism is catchy itself. He absolutely has a tribe around him. And he, to our knowledge, based on what he shares publicly, he's adhered to all kinds of crazy diets. So I want to ask you two things, Steve. The first is what I didn't mention is expert on everything. And what a lot of people pointed out to my tweet was Joe Rogan constantly says, don't listen to me. I'm just a comedian that knows a bit about mixed martial arts. Why can't that just be his defense? Well, I really think that's a little bit of hedging to give yourself that defense, right? So if I say, hey, don't listen to me, but I believe vaccines cause, you know, death, right? You're still making the statement of, I believe vaccines kill people, right? And I think you already know you have this inbuilt, like, inbuilt audience that is going to listen to you, especially if you're someone like that who has literally millions of people listening to you. You don't get to say crazy and stupid things and then say, whoa, whoa, whoa. My defense is, I said, I'm not smart. I don't, not, don't listen to me. And then I, gave my opinion or like, you know, told you what to do. It's, it's. But is the problem Joe Rogan or is it the fact that 11 to 30 million people listen to him? I mean, the problem I think is, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I think, I think there's a little, I think what I'm getting at here is like, there's a little intellectual dishonesty in the sense of, Telling people you're don't listen to you, I'm not smart, don't follow along when you have literally, you know, whatever, 10 million people who subscribe, listen, et cetera, et cetera, and, and are bought in. Um, you don't it it's it, it it's almost like you're giving this this freedom to say crazy things or this freedom mm-hmm. to to take no accountability. Bingo for what you say because you said whoa 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 wait a minute i said not to do that that's like you know an extreme version of this is like saying you know uh don't build a bomb but here's exactly how you build a bomb yes i and and that's exactly what i what i what i was thinking when i saw this because you know Maybe a part of us not being gurus, and we'll get to this later, is like, I'm always trying to figure out how I was wrong. So I'm like, huh, like, I went back, I looked at a bunch of episodes, Joe Rogan does often say, don't listen to me. He'll generally say that towards the start of the podcast, and then go on for three hours. Um, And I was just thinking, either Joe Rogan is really just stupid, and he truly believes that that's effective, or... He's just completely shunning responsibility. And an, an example that really set me off that went into my decision to you know, send out the fateful tweet was at the end of one of the rants on vaccine mandates, he said, I don't know for certain. I don't know. I'm not an expert. But I've heard that you know, if you're vaccinated and you get COVID, there's a little less chance that, that you'll, you'll die. And that is complete and utter bullshit. There is now 160 million data points that show if you're vaccinated against COVID, your chance of hospitalization and death goes down easily 100, if not 1,000 times than from if you're unvaccinated. Your chance of being hospitalized if you get COVID and you're vaccinated is, I believe, 1% to 5%. If you um, are unvaccinated it is at least three times that. So like just when he makes statements like that, I guess my question is, is, is he dumb or does he know exactly what he's doing? And I'm not sure what's better or worse, 
part of me wants to believe that he's just not very bright and he read some conspiracy on the internet and thought that it would be provocative back to our list. It would be emotional. It would be contrarian. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's a dumb guy. Um, so then, so it's evil because seriously, it's like if, if imagine if you and I somehow had eleven million people that we knew listen to this, and we're not dumb, and it's freaking everywhere how effective vaccines are. Not at preventing you from getting COVID, we're learning that right now, but clearly they 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 are to date there is insurmountable evidence that they definitely are effective against bad illness. So imagine if you and I were to be like, well, like, you know, uh, we're no experts and we've heard there's a little, there's a little data or maybe they'll make you a little less sick. I mean, then is it, to me, that's like negligent. Uh, so, so let's, let's, let's try to be as generous as possible yeah. too, because it's easy just to pile on and yeah, go so, ahead. Yeah. Let, let's unpack this. Um, I think evil is too harsh. Okay. Um, I think he is a human being who, like, justifies or, like, is able to feel okay about making those contrarian statements because in his mind he's sitting there and being like, well, I told him not to listen to me. I told him to listen to these doctors. You know, I told him to do this. And whether he like deep down believes that or not, like I'm, I'm sure that's his like rationalization justification. Um, and I'm sure like in his head, he's thinking, you know, like I told you guys, so what's, what's the, what's the big deal in some ways. And I hate not trying to get political, but it reminds me of the same tactic that, that Trump would use on like describing things. He'd never flat out come out and say things or not always say things that are crazy, but he'd say, you know, people are telling me or I'm hearing this, right? And and when you say people are telling me, that takes it a responsibility away from you in the same regards that saying, you know, don't listen to me, but, and then explaining, you know, whatever it is you have, takes that responsibility away. Right. It's abdicating responsibility for what you're 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 saying. But I, I, I don't think it makes you like in Rogan's case, at least, I don't think it makes him evil. I just think it makes him like human in the sense that he's abdicating responsibility. And the only difference is he's a comedian actor who just happens to have, you know, millions of people follow though and i'm not sure if he like appreciates or takes the time even to understand that impact that it has yeah and i do think part of the reason well not part the vast majority of the reason that i became so angry is i've got a three and a half year old kid that can't yet be vaccinated so it's not comedy for me. It's not a hypothetical for me. It is, I still have to be concerned about my kid. My kid's school might close down. He might therefore fall by, like all of these things that are very real that would not be problematic if we didn't have people like Joe Rogan fueling these conspiracies. So I think that you know, there's also like a skin in the game thing too, maybe that, that should be added to our list is that they take super strong opinions on things where they don't have skin in the game. Because my guess is Joe Rogan's vaccinated. He's not dumb, as you said. And my guess is he probably doesn't wear a mask because he looks at the data and to the contrary of what he said, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm a relatively healthy middle-aged dude. I'm vaccinated. Like, I'm, I'm very protected from getting sick. So... Maybe it's just a lack of thoughtfulness. Um, and maybe that's only, maybe then, maybe Rogan and gurus are only half the problem. And then the other half the problem is the people that forget that Rogan is just a comedian and a provocateur and take what he says extremely seriously. Um, I'll read another tweet that I got in response from um, 
this guitar player, I won't name him, and he just screenshotted my guru thing and said, via B. Stolberg, this could not be said better. This applies to Rogan's buddies and guests, Alex Jones, also Tucker Carlson, except maybe the weird diet part. Either way, beware of anyone who exhibits these traits. And again, in my initial little thread of tweets, Right after I posted the guru syndrome thing, I posted a picture of amusing ourselves to death. And what is Tucker Carlson, if not entertainment? You know, he's, he's like, we used to growing up in our generation, we're like old millennials, you know, the amusement used to be like the Jerry Springer show. Or what were some of those other talk shows where people would like come and yell at each other and it'd be like, well, who's the dad? Let's take a DNA test. That wasn't like wholesome. But it wasn't the news. Now, in many cases, that that is that's the same tenor that the news has. Yeah, I mean, and and I, yeah, it's certainly entertainment, and the entertainment and news has intertwined to create this kind of strangeness. And I think you're seeing the same thing in terms of you know podcasts as well um where entertainment and news kind of intertwine and are indistinguishable and because of that we have you know some of the issues or problems and i think the other thing that it it's also a it's also kind of a winding path right and i'm not meaning to pick on rogan but you know i I think he serves as an interesting example because if you go back and you listen to a lot of his stuff, you know, before the current political climate occurred, you know, there's a lot of stuff on like aliens and like UFOs and that's all fine and good, right? You know, government conspiracy, all fine and good. But like what's happened is I think you have this contrarian, this like conspiracy, this like let's evaluate things, which is fine on topics that, let's be honest, don't really matter, don't impact anything, right? Whether you believe Area 51 or not, like doesn't matter. Um, That's an but, insane statement. If there are UFOs and aliens, it will affect everything. Yeah, but like it doesn't matter like what you or I believe. Oh, sure. Now I see what you're saying. Correct. Like until the aliens knock at our door and we need to get Will Smith, like whether or not we're ranting about alien conspiracies is not very important. Yes, exactly. That's what I mean. I mean, not that it doesn't matter that aliens exist or not. It it just doesn't matter if you believe the conspiracy, you know, whether, you know, it doesn't impact things because if aliens show up on our door, like, you know, that changes everything. Um, but anyways, like what's happened is like you get this conspiracy laid in, like contrarian, et cetera. Let's explore. But then that's been dragged out from the world of aliens, et cetera, et cetera, government conspiracies, JFK assassination, whatever. But it's dragged out into things that now matter. And what I mean is like matter on a day-to-day basis and impact our 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 functioning of our our country or our world in terms of look now we have conspiracies on whether elections are you know right or held true or not right which undermines like the principles of of democracy and our our standard of our country now we have conspiracies on whether vaccine vaccines have you know microchips or are tracking or what have you which are you know surprisingly widely widely held you know now we have uh conspiracies on on mass and all this stuff um which a couple decades ago you didn't have the conspiracies like were either fringe in that area or up in or left into these areas that no one really cared about or you know was just fun to talk about or was just some crazy show on the history channel that no one really took seriously yeah all right so then another interesting point of discussion here is you see this theme 
in individuals that show signs of what we define as guru syndrome of getting really into like a particular diet or a particular exercise program. Um, why do you think that that is? And I think that this is a good, uh, also when you're done answering that, a good segue into like, well, let's talk about our own work in relation to guru syndrome. And something that both of us have never experienced is attachment or all inness to a cockamamie diet or any particular exercise program. But what is it about like Joe Rogan ate, you know, only venison and beef and apple cider, Jordan Peterson, the same. Um, I'm trying to think of some, some other examples. Oh, the Dave Asprey guy, um, you know, the bulletproof guy, um, you see a lot of people that are like super certain it appears on everything and then they pick a, a diet and exercise program to become, you know, a zealot about too. What's going on there? So I don't know the underlying psychology well enough, and I'm sure there's some psychology research on this, but what it seems clear is that like the same mindset or the same psychological tendency that makes you um, susceptible to like believing conspiracies, going down rabbit holes on, you know, what the government isn't telling us, uh, all those kinds of things are the same things that allow you or push you to you know, adopt some of these behaviors in terms of diet and exercise in your own life. And I think if you look at the framing of diet or exercise, it, it kind of makes sense, right? Why? For whatever reason, when we go down the diet rabbit hole, it kind of ties in with our identity, right? It becomes part of our tribe. You know, I'm keto. Great. You know, all my friends are keto. Like, I'm part of this tribe on on keto and Instagram and hashtag keto, whatever. Like, we can talk about our food intake and, you know, what all meat stuff we're, we're eating. It gives us this sense of this tribe. And it also, those are also interlaid or intertwined with, if you look at the diet stuff, like whether it's keto, low carb, whatever, all meat, doesn't matter. It's also often tied to some sort of like, you know, us against them or even conspiratorial thinking, right? Look at look at the like very anti, you know, carbohydrate, right? The government, you know, the government's been doing this to support the sugar industry or hold up this. And some of that like might be true to a degree, Right. Of like, yeah, government's, you know, supporting this, whatever. But there's like taken to the nth degree of like, this is all a conspiracy to keep us un unhealthy and unwell and, you know, to support Monsanto or GMOs or whatever have you. And and there's a lot of that tied into this diet world on top of just eating food, which I think again, explains if you go deep into the guru syndrome, then of course it makes sense that, you know, well, if the government is against us here and if all these things, the science and research and experts over here are wrong, you know, in this area, then of course they must be wrong in this other area of diet or exercise or what have you as well. Do you think that... Guru syndrome has a propensity towards men, or is it just that we know more about men that are onto this line of thinking? Because the only woman that I can think of that would fall into this category, and even she doesn't fall into it nearly all the way, is someone like a Gwyneth Paltrow at Goop, who is super into, you know, crystal hearing, healing and, and that sort of thing. And I believe also like various cleanses and detoxes. Um, yeah, I wonder if maybe in the women's side, it's more like diet culture in particular. 
Whereas on the men's side, because how one looks is maybe less in importance, at least perceived as less important, it like has to be more intellectual or idea based. And I'm not saying this is good to be clear. I'm just ob- observing that um, when I think of guru syndrome, I don't generally think of women. And it could just be that women are more thoughtful and discerning than men. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some of that, but I think there are, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't recall their names, but there's a, a several in the kind of diet world. Yeah. Right. Who, you know, tend to adopt extreme views, these conspiratorial views on diet, and then also have some of the same views uh, kind of out there on COVID and vaccines. And yeah. Blah, 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 like blah, the blah. syndrome. Yep. So I I think there is to a degree. I think it's more probably more prevalent in men because of, you know, our egos and certainty, maybe to a degree. Um, But it's, you know, it can affect everybody. Yeah. Okay. so then the biggest critique or criticism that I got in the literally hundreds, if not thousands of responses to my tweet was, well, look at you, you know, you have a business or platform called The Growth Equation, and your book is sustainable success in pretty much everything. Like, what are you if not a guru? And I remember calling you and being like, you know, this is interesting. Like, we're thinking through. So I want to go down the list and speak for myself and, and Steve, and you can interrupt if I get anything wrong, but there is one thing that we're going to key in on, I, I suspect. So the first is love's hypotheticals. Steve and I do not speak in hypotheticals. The second thing is too confident. Um, do we both have egos? Yes. You, you kind of have to, to be a published author. Your name's on a book. You kind of have to think that what you have to say matters. Um, so maybe we score like neutral on that. Emotional charge over reason Anyone that's been listening to us or reading our stuff knows that that is not true. Addicted to being contrarian. Uh, If anything, we're looking for universal patterns across science, history, and practice. So we're kind of the opposite of that. Uh, Perceive yourself of leader as a tribe. We love the Growth EQ community. We're trying to build something, but we don't see it as a religion or a cult or anything like that. We actually encourage people to read other people's books and question what we have to say. And then, as I mentioned, adheres to crazy diets or as a proxy or not as a proxy, excuse me, as a parallel exercise programs. Um, Steve and I have like the most boring American diets in our relationship with exercise. As Steve runs, I lifts weights. That's that. So the thing to key in on, though, is expert on everything. So, you know, you pull up our website And we cover topics from resilience to mental health, to physical health, to performance, to toughness. We do it under this umbrella of performance, well-being, and sustainable success. We've got books with titles like Peak Performance, The Benefits of Going All In, Transformative Path to Success. Um, I get why someone would be like, well, aren't you just projecting? So why don't you be our first stab at defense attorney, and then I'll take a go. <laughs> yeah, this one's tough uh, because I, I think to a degree it's like a valid question. It is. I mean, it is a valid question and, and criticism. Um, and I think what I would say is when you're entering the field of trying to help performance or success or people, you know, perform better in whatever it is uh, they're doing, uh, you have a degree of this because perform it's such a wide and varied field. Okay. Uh, what I think would make us different is the same thing that we thought about and talked about when we first wrote peak performance. And that is, we talked about making sure this was grounded in the science and best practices, not of our opinions or not of what has worked for us, but doing the work to make sure that we're understanding that. 
And I, I get that's I get that you can criticize that as well. But when Brad and I write a book, we try to go all in on understanding our topic as best as you can in a couple year period. But we take a couple years to do it. No, we don't have a doctorate on this stuff. No, we don't have an advanced degree. Yes, they're on some of these topics. Yes, there are people who are experts who will know more. And we tend to go to them and defer to them when reading or researching uh, uh, about these topics. And I think hopefully that degree of like depth of finding or trying to understand um, hopefully sets us ap apart because it is you're you're balancing these things of, well, we want to help people perform better. All of this stuff. Performance is a very wide field ranging from sports to business to, you know, art to, to music to all these different things. Um, and it can very easily, you can quickly devolve into this kind of expert on everything. But I think we take a different tact and approach. And then we also set up guardrails to, to hope that we don't overstep those bounds. I agree with all of that, obviously. Uh, I think that the other things that I would add are we don't fancy ourselves as entertainers. And I know it's a mindset thing, but I do think that, you know, Rogan and others like him would straight up tell you like they're entertainers or marketers, whereas we really fancy ourselves as like coaches and writers. I think our coaching record and the individuals that we've worked with for a long time that are national, if not world-class at what they do, and we've hopefully played a very small part, but a small part in that trajectory also speaks for itself. And um, yeah, this notion that we're not just interviewing four people a week and making proclamations based on, on those interviews um, I think is, 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 is also extremely helpful in separating us. And then lastly, I think that, you know, whenever we work with large organizations, whenever we take something on in this podcast and we take a big swing, certainly in our books, we always clarify because we believe this, that we are, experts on the principles that we write about. Their application in different narrow fields, we are not experts on. So the only reason I'm comfortable working with physicians, entrepreneurs, executives, and athletes is because I believe that these principles can be helpful to everyone. I cannot go in and tell someone about their business or their sport or um, a patient interaction and I think that's a big difference too, that like our work tends to be much more conversational with the reader or the listener versus like proclamations, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I think it does. Um, I think it, I think it does. I would also say that it's, it's like what you demonstrated there is knowing where your boundaries are and what your specific degree of expertise is. So in this case, it's here are the principles. I'm an expert on these principles, but the individual application and how you like utilize these in these fields is not like my thing, right? That's, a discussion that's for you who know how to how to work in this field how to apply these things uh to figure out and and i think that is like if anything in this guru syndrome is knowing where the limits of your understanding lie right it's like here are some tools and i can teach you everything about the tool but then you have to go into your own life your own craft and use that tool wisely. And you can come back with questions, 
in in conversation, we could maybe help you figure out how to do that. But really, what we're giving you is a tool. Whereas someone like Rogan in a rant on vaccines is not giving anyone a tool about how to think scientifically or analytically or how to um, be a skeptic without becoming a cynic or how to question well. He's just totally foregoing that step and then dabbling into, you know, this is a this is government control of your life, whatever the outcome is, which is very different than trying to give someone a tool to evaluate science. Right. I, th- I think in that in that regard, when it comes to masks or vaccines or whatever have you, the tool would be like how to help people make decisions. Right. How to help people figure out like what's the best pr- approach for them um, in those regards and finding g- good information instead of just being like, well, I heard, you know, this, this and this and this. Right. And also to be cognizant, and this gets back, they're, they're so tied together, but to be cognizant that you have a platform and to take some responsibility. And I think that the more of a platform you have, the more responsibility you need to take as to what you portray yourself, quote unquote, expert on. So for example, I probably know more about running and training for running than 99.5% of people in this country. I would never, ever offer someone feedback on a workout that is not my wife trying to run a one hour and 45 minute half marathon. And even then I don't like to do it because it's like that is a clear limit. Whereas I think, you know, you see it in someone like Joe Rogan, like there's fitness advice, there's diet advice, there's public health advice. Like it's just it is so much broader. Um and also so much more frenetic. One week it's one thing, the other week it's the next. Um, and I think that that's another another big difference. And, and yeah, and I think well, with, something. It, sorry, Steve. Yeah. One more thing. There's something about writing a book too that like really demands a level of expertise to, or, or I shouldn't say expertise, but a level of like learned expertise to to tackle a topic inside and out. Now, there are tons of gurus with books, for sure. But I think a book with a big work cited that, again, is looking for patterns and themes um, that has been vetted and tested with actual scientists that know the narrow as well as good thinkers that can see the broad, I think that gives you a little bit more clout to actually say, oh, yeah, like this is my area of expertise or I can offer an opinion or an idea here. And back to Neil Postman and amusing ourselves to death, I think a huge part of the problem is not so many people are reading books anymore. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think books bring clarity because they force you to do the research and then understand. And and they really force you to um, understand what you don't know, right? Or, Or understand where your limits are or understand where you struggle with. Because there's you know, that's when I reach for experts, reach for help, or when I'm, you know, lost in an idea, I'm trying to figure it out. Um, so it, it really has this kind of clarifying uh, effect. But I think, you know, I think it's it's not reading books, but it's also just, you know, we talked about it at the beginning. It's the confusing of entertainment and news. It would be like if in the book world, fiction and nonfiction combined, you know, in some way. I don't know how how it is, but like, you know what I mean? Where it's just like, we just combine you. Well, that's happened. People have gotten super busted. They've written like memoirs that are like half fiction, half fact. Right. But in the book world, we still call that out. Yeah, I see what you're saying for sure. And it reminds me of something, another, um, author and podcast host said recently in in one of his episodes, Ezra Klein was talking about how it used to be as a writer, you're competing with other books or other websites, but now you're competing with Netflix, Peacock, TikTok, Twitter. And if in, in for all intents and purposes, Joe Rogan's podcast. So if I'm going to write a serious book and I'm trying to compete against this candy that is faster, more entertaining, more provocative, more stunning, it's really hard. 
And again, man, I, I can't speak more highly about how prescient Neil Postman was in his work. Like, this is the problem with amusing ourselves to death. I mean, you know, look at the title of the, of, of the growth EQ of our next, like the practice of groundedness, fine. A transformative path to success that feeds, not crushes your soul. Now, you guys all know Steve and I. Like, that's a commercial title. It's more commercial than we would have wanted it to be. And we can say that here because you guys know us. You've been listening to this podcast. But for a reader, no one's going to pick up that book unless it has a title like that. So it's, it's really tough. I mean, another great example is Mark Manson. You know, his book, which is like one of the best-selling books of the last decade, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, it's actually a really good book about defining your core values and saying no to a lot of other things. I was skeptical because of its title. I'm like, this is bullshit. And then I realized, nope, it's a, it's a pretty good book. Mark Manson's a pretty good writer, really good writer. He's just competing against, you know, Jerry Springer, Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan. My fear is that that then starts to seep into the actual pages of books, not just the titles. And that's where we're all screwed. I mean, I think that that seeping is occurring to a degree, but I think you're right. Um, actually, I, I, you know, just saw a tweet from um, Olympic medalist 1500 runner Nick, Nick Willis, who was talking about raising his, his young child. And he was talking about how they have certain rules for no screen time. And he's like, it's amazing. With no screen time rules, he devo- he defaults to picking up a book and reading. Yeah, well, because you can't because you're not competing with the screen, right? You're not competing. Um, the rest of us are competing and losing a a battle a lot of times uh, because the screen is more appealing. It has more dopamine hit than you know picking yeah. up a book. So I, I the good think news is the good news is there is good news. Our most popular podcast, I think, of the year, you you've got all the data, is our deep reading podcast. Is that still true? That is true. So there's still hope. People still want to read deeply. Um, we'll put that one in the show notes too, of course. Um, but I think even that we need to call it deep reading and do a whole podcast about it goes to show that yeah, like it's a challenge to create the time and space is a is just a layperson out there to engage in more intellectually honest, not like hyper provocative ideas and, and be discerning and thoughtful when you're competing against everything else. Um, and maybe that's another kind of way to discern guru syndrome is like, is the person also doing work that has a long runway that is not entertainment? So you know, Ryan Holiday, very broad, but also pretty narrow, but stoicism marketing, the farthest thing or furthest thing from guru, because he is so dedicated to writing books. Cal Newport, we've had on the show, he writes, you know, technology and work, but it's pretty broad. He writes for the New Yorker. But again, like he's writing and he's putting a lot of time into these books. Um, you know, if we're going to play this game, and I mentioned that it's like a lot of dudes, but Tim Ferriss is someone that I actually think started out in kind of like the guru syndrome and has come such a long way. And it's no surprise that he's written, he's like written a lot of books and maybe he's been forced to reflect on like what he knows and what he doesn't and what he can promise and what he can't. Um, I don't want this just to be like in defense of personalities that write books, because again, well, you can go awry in a book, but I wonder if there's not something there. Yeah, I think there. I think it's the time, though. It's the time to understand. And I'll give you another example. Um, who's been on the show and a good friend of ours, Rich Roll, who yes, writes books, but like you, if you ask him, he is not first and foremost a writer. Yeah, you know? but he's a guru that I actually listen to. <laughs> but 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 look at but. And Rich goes bro- very broad and very deep on his, his podcast. But I would argue the difference here or what I've noticed from the you know background of knowing Rich is he takes the time to really read and understand and research for, you know, 
whoever he's talking his his audience and i think you know uh, i don't know how rogan does it i don't know how uh, you know a lot of people do it but some people's podcasts we've been on like it's or tv shows are the prime example of this right the host knows nothing the producer researched it all read it all and then like feeds the couple of questions which means that you don't have the depth even if you're asking the questions you don't have the depth to understand or you know get the nuance or ask the right question in the moment to you know some authors or researchers or whoever your guest response that needs to be asked yeah and i also wonder though like you know is the reason that rich rolls podcast probably has like 120th the listenership of joe rogan's precisely that because it is so thoughtful and nuanced and well-researched um yeah i mean there's something to that too it's like commercial success doesn't necessarily mean good and if anything maybe you have to be a little bit more skeptical when something has huge commercial success in any area of improvement whether it's you know broad performance and success like we define it or athletic or nutrition um my guess is that, you know, if you were to skim the bestseller list in the New York Times, every single nutrition book on there is bullshit guru syndrome. There was like a book that said that eating vegetables is like terrible for you and causing cancer that was at the top of the New York Times bestseller list or near the top for weeks. Um, you know, our boy David Asprey, like butter in your coffee every morning, the path to total health top of the bestseller list. I don't want to just like bitch and complain here. I, I really do want to like point out a theme that I think that, um, you know, it's kind of, I, I once had, um, when I was a long time ago, when I was working on helping stand up a sports medicine program, the leaders of this program were really struggling to define sports medicine. And this guy named Todd, I won't use his last name, get him in trouble, said, you know, sports medicine is like porn. You know it when you see it. And I think that there's an aspect to this guru syndrome too that is kind of like that. You know, like that's what I'm pointing at. Like, is it is it the over commercialization? Is it the entertainment? Um yeah. Yeah. It's it's I think I think it's a little bit of all those things, right? It's a good book. We should write a book on guru syndrome. We could be the gurus on guru syndrome. <laughs> But, you know, it, it, it's what would be interesting is to trace the rise of it, right? So we've always had charlatans and hucksters and all that, that kind of stuff. But the, the guru has really taken flight in the era, era of TV and entertainment. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is Postman again. Yeah. I know we're trying to sell our book, but we're selling Amusing Ourselves to Death pretty well. Um, and this this Postman's book. Yeah. Like, you know, when he saw reality TV coming on, he predicted that a reality TV star would be president of America in 1984. I mean, yep. that's remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very crazy and very, very true. So, yeah, I don't know. Keep fighting the good fight. Um, yeah. The, listeners, hopefully this helped you. Um, the, the one thing I'd add, Brad, is that I know we touched on, but I, I think it helps to you know, say it specifically is in a lot of these cases, too, you can be addicted to being a contrarian. Yes. And I think you really have to watch out and be aware that like you know to make sure you don't go this 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 path and i saw uh someone on twitter post this and it just struck because i was thinking about this as going through your um your own experience but someone said uh essentially uh being a contrarian without rig rigor is not worth much and then they went on to cite uh, the vaccine doctor who turned out to be a fraud. Andrew Wakefield was unorthodox, but he was also a fraud. And I, I think 
I think it's so easy once you go down this path of, well, I'm going to be a contrarian. I'm going to like counter everything. And you get this like feel good hit of like, look at me, I'm going up against the establishment or I show where the establishment is wrong and I'm correcting this stuff. It can, it can lead you astray. And, you know, one of the great, best examples is the, the sports scientist who did phenomenal work. Oh uh, yeah, Tim, Tim Noakes. Tim Noakes, phenomenal work. Changed, you know, changed the field of sports science. Exercise. We cited a lot of his work in peak performance in yeah. sports science, not in diet, autism, diabetes, whatever else. Right. Vaccines you know, now, I think. And but he had this contrarian that that led him to great things because he is said, it vaccines? I just want to make sure I'm not misspeaking. Is he I, on the anti-vax bandwagon? Uh, to a degree, I think he rides yeah. that line, but there's there's some anti which is nuts because what does that have to do with sports science yeah but you know but like perfect example and by all you know i've interacted with him only a handful of times but always super nice to me and all that stuff um never on this this kind of diet vaccine stuff but it's a good example because brilliant scientists contrarian leads to success because he rethinks you know essentially a century of exercise science and says, Hey, wait a minute. Like what if we're wrong here, here, and here, and not just a one field, one thing like in terms of fatigue, but also, you know, water consumption and all these, you know, hydration, all these different things. And at least a lot of, you know, getting us on the right path, but then like takes it towards this diet, you know, and yeah. then, you know, and it's so freaking hard though. And, 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 I know this podcast is going long, but I think it's worth spending more time on this particular point because most revolutionary ideas, by definition, are contrarian at first. So I'm thinking like the idea of washing your hands and cleaning wounds in medicine, those doctors were ostracized from practice for recommending that you wash your hands before surgery. Um, Later on, the germ theory of disease forgetting the scientist's name. Everyone thought that they were a total whack job. My sense is that eventually someone will come along with a better idea than chemotherapy, our gold standard for cancer, and we'll look back and we'll be like, I can't believe that you basically like poisoned people to the edge of death to treat this disease. So contrarian, like being a contrarian isn't bad, but it's not good either. And I think maybe maybe the thing with guru syndrome is like if you're a contrarian on multiple things, that's where there's a problem because the probability of all those things being true at any given time is close to zero. Yeah, I think you're right. That's the part, right? It's if it's being contrarian on a narrow thing where the evidence demands it. Probably right, you know, or, you know, have a greater likelihood of being right. Yes, and this this gets back to the diet thing. Yeah. I feel like this is this this might be the defining feature, Steve. It took us an hour to get here, but we're getting here. This is why if someone comes across like big and bold and you're a little bit skeptical, if you ask them or you learn like, well, are you on a crazy diet? Are you like so diehard about your exercise program being the best? Are you also like completely convinced that, you know, atheism is real or on the flip side that like Jesus is coming back? Um, if you start to see this pattern, then you can quickly dismiss someone. I think Jordan Peterson's a great example. He's written books that no doubt help a lot of, a a lot of young men in particular. And I struggle to take anything that he says too seriously because he's on this crazy all me apple cider vinegar diet that he and his daughter stood up a company for. He went to Russia to get treatment for what seemed like routine benzodiazepine dependency. Um, There's another thing in there that, oh, and then the gender thing. Like he needs to be an expert on gender identity. It's like that has nothing to do with writing books that give young men very basic advice. Uh, Our friend Oliver Berkman wrote a great review of Jordan Peterson's work and said, it's pretty crazy that his books get criticized so much. Because if you just read his books, they're great. They cannot hurt anyone, and they can only help people. 
But if then you look at Jordan Peterson, the person, the guy that wrote these books, you're like, oh, that guy seems like, you know, kind of a wackadoo. Um, and maybe it's like knowing when to stop. And maybe that's another thing that, you know, I should have told people is like, ask me about the crazy diet I follow or ask me about the one and only exercise program or ask me about the line of supplements that I started. And once you start to identify those patterns, that's when you raise the red flag. Because it's fascinating. All the people that I know that I respect that do have broad expertise, uh, I'm thinking of Dave Epstein. I mentioned Ryan, Cal, um, someone like Shalane Flanagan. Like None of these people are on like crazy diets. None of these people talk about like the one and only way to be healthy. And maybe that's why I respect them. Whereas all the people in this broad field of performance that I don't respect go all the way and have a strong opinion on everything. I think you just nailed it there. I mean, it's, it's looking for those patterns, right? If someone is, again, if someone's contrarian going against the grain in one area, then they could be all right. If they're going against the grain in all these different other areas, then I think they're a contrarian for the sake. It's like, it's almost like the being a contrarian or the hit of feel good chemicals they get from being a contrarian supersedes anything else. So that is the what is drawing them. If you see all these, well, they have a crazy diet. Well, they have a crazy exercise. Well, they believe these crazy ideas or these out there ideas in medicine. Well, they believe these out there ideas in whatever other field. When you see all these come together, then that should tell you they are di- addicted to being a contrarian because all of it's the world's the likelihood of all these four, five, six, seven different things being counter in terms of evidence, and we've gotten it all wrong, is very, very slim given we're in the modern scientific era where you know research is peer-reviewed, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to get some things wrong, but the chances that we get everything wrong are, are slim to none. So if you see that, probably means they're addicted to being a contrarian and the ev- and what that means in terms of their views, especially if they're intelligent, is they're going to find the evidence that fits their contrarian views instead of going where the evidence demands them to go. And that is key. That seems like the perfect place to end. Um, it took us a while to get here, but I... Um... I'm really glad that we had this conversation. I think that we should circle around this topic more and more. I couldn't help but think of the kind of polar ends of both political parties. Um, No surprise what my politics are. I would argue it's the main of one political party and the polar end of the other, but very same kind of thinking where it's all or nothing, need to swing, you know, to the fences on every single idea um, that's leading to, to that kind of polarization too. Like it is extremely non-exciting and non-polarizing to be like, yeah, I try to avoid processed foods, but every once in a while, you know, maybe twice a week I eat pizza or I stop at fast food. I try to eat generally healthy. If I'm eating what feels like too much and not moving, maybe I gain a little weight. Maybe I eat a little bit less. I lose a little bit weight and that's my diet. You know, that's like the moderate politician that has completely disappeared. Exactly. What's exciting about that? You know, what's magic about that? Yes, it's it's almost we've it's like we've traded, you know, accuracy and depth and nuance for excitement and pleasure. Yeah. Cool. Well, if you want accuracy, depth, and nuance, um, come back next week. Keep coming back. We'll do what we can to give it to you. If you don't, there's a Joe Rogan podcast waiting for you. If you listen to this and you've decided that Steve and I are gurus, well, then at the very least, follow our guru advice and guru syndrome and run the other way from us. Uh, And then if you really like us and you enjoy our work, as we mentioned at the outset of the show, we've got a new book, The Practice of Groundedness. Um, It explores the foundation of sustainable performance. If peak performance is the top of the mountain, this book is the base 
and we have all kinds of neat pre-order bonuses. We'll include those in the show notes, or at the very least, we'll include the link in the show notes. And um, if you don't want to check there, you can just go to www.thegrowtheq.com and you'll immediately see how to pre-order the book and redeem your bonuses. And before we finish, I want to make one thing, want to state one thing because it's uh, important, I think. If you listen to Joe Rogan and find his, his podcast valuable, totally fine. 100% under, understandable. He has some fantastic guests and some interesting conversations. What Brad and I are saying is if you listen, like go in with that awareness that Rogan isn't the expert and, you know, judge the experts he brings on for yourself. But if they truly are an expert and you want to get something from them, then that's fine. But, you know, don't understand the guru and what to listen to and what not to. And I don't, I mean, listen, I'm not worried about people hating on me because I wrote the tweet. Like there's no surprise. Like I really dislike Joe Rogan and I think having a kid and letting him muck in COVID conspiracy took me over the top. So I'd also say if you're a fan of Joe Rogan and you're listening to this and maybe you're thinking twice, uh, Dak Shepard, he's got a show called armchair experts with Monica Padman. It is every bit as broad um, there's literally a joke like armchair experts, experts on everything, and they have similar guests and it's a completely different tenure and tone in that podcast. And it is funny to something that we said earlier, like every time Dak starts to go off the rail, Monica, his co-host, who is a woman, brings him back to reality. Um, so it's a good alternative if you haven't checked that out. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.